the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we're in a series of messages that we're calling Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ, where we're exploring the mission, vision, and core convictions of our church, focusing on the centrality of Christ in word and in our lives. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, our series on the core convictions of Orland Park CRC. Those six core convictions our biblical worship, our outreach, our discipleship, our fellowship, our being reformed, and our stewardship. Or, as we've put them, our six core convictions are biblical worship, our open arms to the world, our teaching and training, life together, gracious reformed living, and that everything belongs to God. These are the central convictions of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. And we begin today with the first of those convictions, with biblical worship. This forms the core of our identity. We are a worshiping people. So let's give our attention to Isaiah chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Well, at the very beginning of our time together today in God's word, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about the context of the passage. 
The passage helps us to understand the time that it was writing about and the context into which Isaiah was writing. We're told in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6 that he is writing this in the year that King Uzziah died. We know that King Uzziah died around 740 BC. This was the time when a new Assyrian emperor had been ruling for a little bit of time. His name was Tiglath-Pileser III. That's an awesome name, isn't it? He's probably like in my top three or four Assyrian kings, Tiglath-Pileser III. There are a lot of good ones like Sargon and Hammurabi and Ashurbanipal, all those. But Tiglath-Pileser needs to take his place around that crew. Tiglath-Pileser was a conquering king or emperor in the, king, uh, the kingdom of Assyria, and, and what he would come to do about 15 years or so after this takes place is that he would conquer the whole kingdom of Israel. Isaiah was a prophet that was speaking to the, the southern kingdom, which was Judah, the, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. He spoke to the kingdom of Judah. Now they're northern neighbors, Israel, would be conquered by this king, and and, uh, Israel would never be the same. They'd be scattered by Assyria. Now, the the king Uzziah had been a, a very strong king for the people of Judah, and he had provided a great deal of protection against this Assyrian ruler or emperor, Tiglath Pileser the Third, and, and so the fact that he had been king, he had been a pretty good king, and he had reigned, he had ruled for about 52 years, and so for 52 years he had provided protection, he had kept the people safe from Syria, he dies all of a sudden, and, and life expectancy at this time was not very long or large, so the, the likely case is that almost everyone in Israel had lived their whole life knowing only Uzziah as king, and now all of a sudden he's died. This would have been a time of incredible uncertainty. The king that had ruled with a strong hand for 52 years is all of a sudden dead. There would have been all manner of fear. What's going to happen now? Are the Assyrians going to come for us? Are we going to lose our country? Who's going to take the place of Uzziah? Will he be as strong a king? Will he be as good a king? Will he trust in the Lord? Will he lead us in the right direction? Or will this spell destruction for us? It is a dangerous thing when there is a change of leadership in, uh, in any sort of country. And so that's what Israel, that's what Judah, the kingdom of Judah is experiencing right now. A time of great uncertainty. And it's at this time that Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. A very important time. In the midst of all manner of uncertainty in the kingdom of Judah, he is brought into the throne room of God and he is reminded, oh, it is the Lord God that sits on the throne. The one who sits on the throne in Judah is not nearly as important as the one who sits on the throne in heaven. That's what he's reminded. I just want to say at the very outset that this is a helpful message to us today. Whenever we're in the midst of any kind of uncertainty, It's important for us to remember who it is that sits upon the throne of heaven. It's important for us to remember in the midst of all sorts of uncertainty or change that God is king, that God is Lord, that he is the one that sits upon the throne and no one will be able to challenge him. He's there. He's still on his throne. He always will be. This is what the Lord showed to Isaiah, and this is what leads us to the meat of our sermon. 
This interaction between the Lord God seated upon his throne and the prophet Isaiah who experiences what it is like to be in the presence of the Lord God. And their interaction has four different movements. And these are them. First, we see God's holiness. Second, we see that God's holiness leads to Isaiah's confession, his confession of sin. Then third, we see God's purification that he gives to Isaiah. And last, we see that Isaiah is given a task, Isaiah's task. And so these are the four points and the four parts of the sermon for us. And so let's jump into this. The first one is God's holiness. This is what is immediately evident when you read Isaiah chapter 6. God is all-surpassingly holy. It's one of those moments, you know where Moses encounters the burning bush and he's told to remove his sandals because he's on holy ground? I always feel like that a little bit when I read Isaiah chapter 6. We're brought into the throne room of God. It seems like one of those moments where it's fitting for us to remove our shoes Here in Isaiah 6, we're in the presence of God. Verse 4 tells us that the voice of the angels shakes the foundations of the threshold of the throne room of God. These angels are very powerful and mighty with voices that are able to shake the very throne room that Isaiah is brought into. And yet... These mighty angels veil their faces in the presence of a glory far greater than their own because God is God. God is God. And God is the one seated upon the throne. We need to pause for a second and realize how amazing it is that God is God. And we need to realize for a second that this is what motivates us to worship. God is God. You know, we praise God for a number of different reasons. We praise him because of what he has done. We praise him for all that he has accomplished. We praise him for all of the ways that he has been good to us and kind to us. And we should do all those things. That's the way that the Psalms often speak about the Lord. But one of the foundational and fundamental reasons that we worship God is simply because he is God. We worship God because of who he is, the only God, the eternal king, the only one worthy of worship and of praise. We worship God for being God. And the angels cry out, holy Holy, holy. The angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. Now for the Hebrews, God's holiness was a distinguishing factor of who he is. Beginning with Exodus chapter 6 verse 3 and continuing on, the word holy is given special prominence in the Old Testament in describing who God is. And this is not vain repetition, the fact that they say holy three times. Things would be repeated twice for emphasis in Hebrew culture. We see Jesus doing this in his own ministry. Sometimes when he would have an important point, he would start by saying, truly, truly, I say to you. And when you see Jesus saying something truly, truly, that means this is important. He's stressing the importance of this. He's stressing it twice. Truly, truly, I say to you. 
Jesus says this at the beginning of many discourses. The doubling of the word increases the emphasis. It makes the statement emphatic. And sometimes the Psalms use this as well. Psalm 130 expresses the longing that the Psalm has for the Lord. In verses 5 and 6 of the Psalm, we're told, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Do you see the repetition there in Psalm 130? And do you hear the the depth of the plea of the psalmist in Psalm 130? My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. This doubling of the phrase increases the emotion that's imbuing the psalm here. And it, it, it increases the emphasis that the psalmist is giving about how his soul waits and longs for the Lord. And here, in the throne room of the Lord, in the presence of the king, the God of the whole universe, the angels don't just say holy, they don't just say that he is holy, holy for emphasis, they repeat it three times, holy, holy, holy. This is unique in the scriptures, this threefold repetition, it stresses to us that the holiness that God possesses is a holiness like no other. This is a holiness that is beyond us. This is a holiness that is different from our own holiness. Today's message in our Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ series will continue in just a moment. We wanted to let you know that you can download a copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask absolutely free when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to past messages of this radio program. This radio ministry is supported by gifts from listeners like you. To support this ministry, you can give a gift of any amount when you visit groundedandgrowingradio.com and click on the Give a Gift button. We appreciate your support as we share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now we continue with today's message from Pastor Derek on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says that the natural man is blind to how holy God is. He said he may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. Tozer is right. You see, it's who God is that motivates us and moves us to worship. When we recognize just how great our God is, the natural response for us should be to want to worship him. It's the only fitting response. When you truly, truly encounter God, you are going to be a person who worships. That is the only fitting response to encountering God. Oh my word, Lord, you are so great. You are beyond what I can fathom. I worship you, God. God is astounding. Do you know that our minds are never, ever, ever going to be able to comprehend how great God is? Do you know that our minds are never going to be able to comprehend how holy, how righteous, how pure God is? Do you realize that if we were to start right now and never stop to the end of our lives describing how awesome our God is, we wouldn't even get to the very beginning of describing how amazing he is? 
God is all surpassingly great and therefore God is worthy of worship and therefore worship is fundamental and foundational for Christians and fundamental and foundational for the church. We are a place, we are a place which has been told, which has experienced the revelation of the Lord letting us know that God is astounding beyond description. So we must be a worshiping people. We must be a worshiping church. It's the basis of who we are. It's the core of our identity. A worshiping people. Because, because God is great. And then do you notice the way that Isaiah responds when he finds himself in the presence of the Lord? This is the second point. Isaiah's confession here. The holiness of God changes Isaiah. Do you see what his response is? He knows the command that's given to the people of God in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Be holy as I am holy, God says. Isaiah realizes in this moment that he is not holy. That he is not holy as God is holy. And we know that he realizes that because what he says, he cries out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Standing in his presence, standing in the presence of the Lord God, Isaiah truly understands for the first time in his life comes to a truer understanding of how deep his sin and wickedness is. And he can't stand it. And he confesses his wickedness. And he realizes the wickedness of the people that he dwells among. And he confesses that to the Lord. Lord, you are, you're holy. You're holy, holy, holy. And I realize that I'm called to be holy like that. And I realize that I am not that. And that I cannot be that. And so I confess that to you is what Isaiah does. I, I have unclean lips. All of the people I dwell with, all of us have unclean lips. How can I stand before you, Lord? When you are in the presence of God, when you encounter God, you realize, and I realize, we realize that we are not holy as God is holy. And so a confession of sin naturally follows. This is a part of worship. This is why we confess our sins in our worship services, because when we come into worship, we hear God speak, and we recognize, I'm in the presence of the Lord God. I'm not as holy as the Lord is. Lord, I'm like Isaiah. I am a person of unclean lips. All of us here, we are all people of unclean lips. We are not you, and we are not holy like you are holy. Confessing sin within a worship service reminds us in a public way that we are not God, that God alone is God. And when we come into God's presence, we see that and we know that. And so we acknowledge together, Lord, you are God, we are not, we are people of unclean lips. We are sinners. But you also notice what happens in the throne room of God, that Isaiah realizes and recognizes that he is a sinner, but do you notice that God doesn't leave him wallowing in that? It's a true statement, but if if that's where Isaiah stopped, this would be an extremely depressing passage. Isaiah comes into the presence of God. I realize my sin, Isaiah says. End of passage. That would be very discouraging. If we were left only, only with the sin and not with the purification, this would be a terribly, terribly discouraging passage. But take a look at verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. What's God's response to Isaiah when Isaiah confesses his sin? Does God come like a warrior and destroy him? No, God immediately provides purification. 
A burning ember, a coal, is taken from the altar in the throne room, and Isaiah's lips are touched with it, and he is assured in that moment that his sin and his guilt have been taken away. Do you see how gracious God is? Do you see that this is just pure grace? This is some demerited favor that's coming to Isaiah from the Lord God. Isaiah comes and stands in the presence of God, recognizes his sin, and confesses it. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And you see the way that the Lord responds? It's so instructive. It's not to say, oh, no, Isaiah, that's too much. You stop it. You're not so bad. No, 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 no. The, the Lord does not, does not wink at sin, but he provides purification for sin. And so without diminishing any of the sin, the Lord has an angel go to the altar and take this coal and purify Isaiah with it. He touches his lips. I imagine this would be painful. But, but in that, he says, listen, your sins are purified. Your guilt is taken away. You're clean. You're righteous. You're holy. You've been forgiven, Isaiah. This is the way that God deals with us. God never winks at our sin. You know, when we recognize our own sin, and, and when we confess it, the response is never, you know what, it wasn't, it wasn't all that bad. You, you didn't really have to say that. You didn't have to do that. The response that comes from God is not, you're a sinner and it's no big deal. The response is, you are a great sinner, so I've got a great savior. You know, Jesus comes and Jesus provides purification. He, he lives a perfect life, the sort of life that none of us could live. He dies on the cross. He sheds his blood for us, purifying our sin. He rises again from the dead, giving to us the righteousness that he had won throughout his whole life. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't for a moment say, you sinned, it's not a big deal. He says, you sinned, I went to the cross for it. I bore the punishment for it. I shed my blood to purify and cleanse you and take your guilt away. I lived for you. I rose for you so that you can have my righteousness. This is why each time that we come together and, and we worship, we confess our sins, but we, we don't stay there. There's always, there's always an assurance of pardon that comes afterwards. When we gather together, when we come before God, when we confess our sins, we don't just say, yep, we're sinners. We're moving on. We're going to try to forget about that. No, we pause and we say, Christ has forgiven. I just want to tell every one of us that is sitting here today, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a redeemed and forgiven person. <laughs> that, when, that when God looks at you, if you're in Christ Jesus, he sees you as, as perfectly sinless and as righteous as Christ Jesus was on your behalf because he sees you in his son. Here's, here's what's amazing. Here's an amazing truth for us today. We're called to be holy, holy, holy. And it's a gift from Jesus. It's purification that comes from Jesus, taking away sin, giving to us his righteousness. Isaiah is purified by God. This is why our confession never stands alone. We don't just confess sin and leave it there. We're reminded of the biblical truth that Jesus has made an end to all our sin, that because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free because the God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. This is the last point here. God speaks and Isaiah is given a task. After Isaiah is in the throne room of God and sees and bears witness to the holiness of God and confesses his sin and receives purification, the Lord God speaks, the voice of the Lord speaks and says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And after Isaiah hears God's voice, Isaiah says, I'll go. Here I am, send me. 
Isaiah's task is a difficult one. The task is to be an instrument of God who will bring a message that the people refuse to hear. And God says that explicitly in the rest of Isaiah chapter 6. He says, keep, he says the message that Isaiah is to preach is, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. He's told, make the hearts of the people dull, their ears heavy and blind their eyes. This is a hard task that Isaiah is given by the Lord. But it, being in the presence of the Lord and being called by God to action, Isaiah responds, Lord, here I am, send me. Do you notice that after purifying Isaiah, the Lord doesn't need to force him or demand that he goes out to tell of the Lord? The Lord asks, and Isaiah says, yes, me, I'll go. God commissions Isaiah. God speaks. God tells some difficult words, and Isaiah says, yeah, that's me. I'll take on that hard task. I want to, because I've seen the glory of God. You see, each time that we come together to worship the Lord God, God speaks to us in the words of the sermon. And at the end of every service, we're able to respond and say, I'm going. I'm going into the world and I'm going to live out that which the scripture says. I'm going to leave this place and follow the Lord. This shows us that the task of worshiping God does not stop when our worship service concludes. We leave this place to be sent by God, to be a part of the world, to be a worshiper in that world. Send me, God. Let me be a worshiper of you when I'm in church and while I'm in school or at the office or in my home. Let me remember that I encountered you and let that change the way that I live. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bucom in our series Grounded in Christ, Growing in Christ, where we explore the core mission, vision, and convictions of our church, focusing on the centrality of Christ in word and in our lives. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.